Welcome to episode number 45, Music to My Ears. This is the Rotated Views Podcast with Jimmy Lee and the crew, giving you life from various perspectives. Welcome to our level. We hope you enjoy the views. All right, you're now tuned into the Rotated Views Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Lee Velez. I am here in the studio with Heck, Gabe, and special guest, Eric Harris DeFarna. That's right, baby, up, baby. Guys? Music to my ears. In this episode, we have special guest, producer, writer, Eric Harris, a.k.a. DeFarna. We discuss the music business slash industry, music from the 90s, the importance of having good lyrical content, producing music, the new era versus the old era, our favorite 90s artist, and advice for someone just getting started in the music industry. We wrap the episodes up appropriately with quotes from the notorious B.I.G. and Tupac Shakur. So, wow. how I, um, I like to kick things off with the dictionary.com definition, and of course, we define hip-hop. They define it as the popular subculture of big city teenagers, which includes rap music, breakdancing, and graffiti art. That reminds me of that, uh, what was that movie that you, Breaker, or Breaking? Breaking? Breaking. Yeah, but what was the other one, Eric, with the graffiti? Um, uh, B Street. B Street. Street. Yeah. That's what that reminds me of, these dudes with the hanging little earrings and the, the Jerry Curl juice. Yeah. Nah, that's, that's breaking. Oh, Beat that's Street, breaking. Beat Street is more of the yeah. graffiti, the artwork, and tagging, and all that stuff. That's Beat Street, yeah. but they dance too. And then there's then there's also Wild Style. Wild Style goes back even goes back even further than than B Street. Really? So was what, that eighty eighties or seventy late seventies? Probably yeah, like mid eighties, probably earlier actually. And it has like uh, that was probably one of the first features of the Rocksteady Crew. Oh man. Wow. And it's called, what is it called? Uh, Wild Style. Wild Style. I'm going to have to look that one up. I'm writing that down. Actually. Yeah, that's that's definitely, uh, I think I think we look, I tried to look that one up before at work. He told me about that. Yeah, we, pro- yeah, we probably looked it up. Yeah. It's difficult. It's kind of difficult to find in, in uh, like a good quality, I guess I should okay. say. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, this week's story I grabbed from notalwaysright.com and it's titled Stupidity Amplified. So the person goes, I work for an online music store and often customers call if they have any sort of problem with an order. The caller, I purchased a very expensive amplifier head from your company. I am thinking about sending it back because it cuts in and out with sounds while I'm playing my guitar through it. I boxed it up and set it on my porch two nights ago, but no one has come picked it up. Me, when did you call us for a return authorization? Caller, I didn't. Why wouldn't someone just come pick it up? Uh, yeah, so that's it's beyond. Up. Uh, <laughs> it's <so> stupid. <laughs> like what? <laughs> what possessed you to think someone's gonna take that? Someone just magically knows to come. pick Right, it up. but then had someone taken it, he's thinking it's getting returned, and really somebody stole it. He would have been completely <laughs> out of it. Um, I brought that into this this uh, episode to bring into perspective that. We often catch ourselves being so into our own little worlds that we think that everything and everyone, you know, revolves around us. I'm not saying everyone's like that, but every once in a while we kind of think like, you know, the world is ours and everything should go around us. Um, Right. But, and the reason why I say that with this episode is because when it comes to music, 
I've entered into several hundred conversations about the most, I guess, I don't even know how to explain it, um, opinionated statements ever made. And people think that what they say, uh, and myself included, is factual or is the utmost uh, respectable comments ever made. Um, right, and, right. And you talk to, I mean, this goes beyond music, right? You, you go to, um, you know, like even cars. Oh, man, they don't make cars like they do back in the day. Movies, oh, they don't make movies like they do back in the day. Taste is purely subjective. Exactly, and that's, that's the point. So um, uh, if we can have an open mind... Uh, when we're having uh, music conversations or conversations about anything, I think it's it's um, it's it's good for everybody. Whether you're the speaker or the listener, uh, yes. we can definitely learn something. And today we already learned something. Uh, I'm gonna go, uh, I guess, download the the Wild Style movie from the the early '80s. So today we have Eric Harris with us, aka DeFarna. And I am fascinated by this because the 90s era of music is is not completely the foundation. I would say it was like the launching pad because it, it set hip-hop up into a whole other stratosphere. Uh, obviously, the 70s and 80s was the foundation what set everything up. And, and this is where hip-hop, I believe... Um, Hip hop took off and and actually got respected and people you know they're getting awards for stuff. I mean it is just fascinating stuff. So yes. um, let's kick it off, uh, Eric. Let's let's get a little bit about you. Who is Eric? And give us a little bit of background about yourself, including your nationality and how you got started in the music industry. All right, um, Eric Harris. I am originally from Panama, Panama City, Panama, Central America. And I'm basically I'm gonna talk like you guys don't know. You may know a lot, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and just talk as if I'm talking to someone that doesn't know much about uh, my background of music or or music period. Um, in Panama, in Panama City, Panama, uh, being that we have the canal, you you get people from throughout the world. Uh, um, there used to be a lot of uh, U.S. soldiers stationed in the canal. Yeah. So with the soldiers, there was American music, there was rock and roll, there was uh, R&B. I mean, you name it. it. It was brought to Panama. So it was musically, it was somewhat as us being in the United States. Right. You know, then um, not just the U.S. soldiers, but you also had all sorts of people migrate to Panama uh, to get jobs because the Panama Canal was, I mean, it still is uh, uh, millions and millions of dollars a day business. Okay. So people will come from Jamaica, Trinidad. So that's that's already reggae, that's soca, calypso music. So we we have um, such a broad style of music, or or just the, our mentality is totally different. That I feel safe to say than the the rest of the world because we have it all there in such a small city right um so that's basically how it started for me was just basically listening to all sorts of styles uh then coming to the united states i'm, I'm gonna date myself but listening to uh, rappers delight and things like that and, and just really liking it and knowing that that was something that i wanted to be a part of so um, I guess what, what I'm trying to get at, it's uh, that's that's kind of like who I am. I'm, I'm still today. I am hip hop. 
I still listen to it today, not as much as I used to, but um, that's that's pretty much who I am. I'm hip hop to the core. So, you, so, to- so, so Panama is really like. So when you grew up, where you grew up, it's kind of like the hub of all different kinds of music because currently the internet, we have access to all kinds of music. But what yes. you experienced was the real, true definition of like a melting pot of music and it was all just kind of i guess giving birth to all new kinds and new forms and exposing you really uh to to these different forms of music and and basically it generated its own style i'm assuming yes um not not just well i guess somewhat and um like like say uh reggae spanish reggae then came reggaeton you know, then we have, you have soca music in Trinidad. We have like Spanish soca. Um, we kind of like uh, flipped it, basically the language. The music was the same, uh, maybe slightly different with more of a, more of a mixture of uh, uh, kind of like what you guys have in Puerto Rico and what we have in Panama, like a blend. Yeah. You know, uh, but Spanish. Yeah. So you're saying you so the beat was the same, but obviously you did it in a Spanish uh, way. So whatever they brought to uh, Panama, you kind of just made it your own. Really. Yeah, sort of like a, yeah, we either did that or made a fusion of it. You know, like mix different two mix two different things together to make one. Yes, exactly. You know. So, so from from there, all right. So we moved from you know that was kind of like the introductory. Um, portion of your life to you know the different kinds of music and and what an amazing place to be uh especially for someone like yourself who's intrigued and talented uh musically wow that, that that's crazy so was there someone was there a major artist or or a group of guys that were older than you maybe that you kind of looked up to and kind of followed or was this something that you're of age and you kind of just took on yourself how'd that how'd that go um back in panama I've always listened to, I mean, we listen to all kinds of music, but as far as someone uh, that I admire lyrically was uh, Ruben Blades, Ruben Blades, which did a lot of stuff with Willie Colon, you know, after Hector Lavoz, kind of like, um, I don't want to say faded, because he's like, to me, he's one of the greatest, Hector Lavoz with salsa music. Yeah. But, uh, but kind of like uh, after his peak, uh, Ruben Blades came in and brought a lot of uh, different styles of lyrics, and um, he worked with uh, you know closely closely with Willie Colon and Fania Music, and um, I really admire his style because uh, lyrically he he brought something more than just party lyrics. Yeah, you know, lyrically it was like a conscious thing. Yeah. You know, he brought songs like Pedro Navaja, you know, things that 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 you can kind of picture. Yeah. Instead of just I'm going to party, it was more like, man, I can see what he's saying. You, got the you know, visual what, I mean? what he was saying. So yeah, so I kind of like that, and um, and and, and that kind of brought me along uh, into the late '80s and '90s with styles like KRS-One, where they just not rapping; they telling you something. Yeah. You know, like Slick Rick, always uh, like a storyteller. Yeah. You know, so so um. You know, I'm kind of like getting ahead of myself, but lyrically, that's what I like. You know, I, I like uh, someone that can that can write 
and tell you something, not just, you know, everybody say, oh, party over here. Someone's deeper like, meaning. Yeah, it's Some like content. you're writing. Yeah, exactly. Thank yeah. you. No, I, I, I totally understand that. And there, and there is a time and place for the party stuff, but yeah. a, a, there comes a time where it's like, I want some depth to yeah, what you're absolutely. saying. Yes, um, yeah. That, and that, it's cool. It's cool to to do the party stuff, but sure. You know, but I you mean, can't, you can't go on forever with that. No, we, exactly. We gotta, we gotta enlighten the mind of, of the kids today. Yeah. It's like, you know, if I if I come to my home uh, uh, to see my kids, and I'm always, uh, and all I'm doing is is is, let's say I'm I'm constantly singing or rapping about parties and parties that's all my kids are going to get yeah right same same goes with a kid outside of the household or or elsewhere you know if if i'm not kicking knowledge he's not going to get knowledge he's just going to get whatever i'm saying whether i'm talking about or whatever that's all he's going to get he's not going to get anything else you know yeah no i i totally get that and it's just it's beyond just the experience it's it's learning something it's it's and actually, it could be whether whether you're learning something that's motivating or even understanding someone's story that people have been through things and, and they've experienced life uh, differently than you had. And what always amazes me is that someone can not only express their story in this way, but really get into details and kind of how you're saying is say in a story. When yeah. someone says it in a story and it makes sense and, yes. it, and it's musically all together somehow gene in a genius ways put together it's seriously like like it's like it's mind-blowing yeah but <laughs> it arouses your thought process and yeah, it, it gets yeah. you to think in a deeper way and, and you know and and it's kind of like what you're saying there's a message there yeah there's content yeah. there's depth it's not just a shallow surface of someone throwing money in the air or whatever yeah. level of ignorance you want to get to um it, and and not about killing or none of that there's there's experiences that people have gone through and they're explaining it this way, man, there's nothing better than just yeah. sitting back and vibing mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with that person. And you just, even especially like you're in a car by yourself, just cruising, yeah. like, oh my gosh, there's nothing better. But but you took mm-hmm. it to a different, so I'm not, I, I, I'm a writer, right? But I'm not a songwriter, so there's a difference. Right, so, right. What what is you know so you went from finding out this music and you know you grew up with it and then you're you're finding new artists that are you know um, you know getting you to think a certain way and, and and a different way and open you up to this this really deeper sense of music that where did you go from there did you just start writing did you just start making beats how how did the the writing aspect come in well, and then when did the producing come in. So- Okay, so so let me go back a little bit. I, I started, um, obviously you love music first, then you start going through your, your, your daddy's records. You know, your father's like, don't touch my records, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. whatever, whatever. <laughs> so I start going through his records, I start DJing. Hmm. So now in Washington, D.C., in the mid-80s, I, I'm DJing. I'm meeting a lot of people in the music industry, and I end up at a studio of this guy named um, uh, uh, Von Mason. Von Mason is actually the guy that did a bounce rock skate roll. I don't know if you guys know that, but that's like a famous skating rink song. Mm. And um, 
And I was obviously, obviously no, because this guy was kind of big back then, and here I am in his studio. Yeah. Now, what I, the first thing that I learned in that studio was uh, how to edit. And the way that they edited back then was slicing tape. Yeah. It wasn't like today, like everything is digital. Right. You literally had to you literally had to take the tape and you wiggle it around the head so you could hear the sound where the bass starts and then you have to slice it. And then you may have to record and record and record and slice and slice. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's where cut and paste came from that we see on the computer. Gotcha. Basically we were cutting and pasting uh, literally crazy. tape. Not not you know, it wasn't done digitally. So from there, you know, I, I started liking it obviously and um I started with, with a couple of friends from high school. We decided to build our own studio. Um and um from there that's kind of uh, I was I was recording a lot of artists. I was recording a lot of Jamaican artists back in DC. I was recording, uh, uh, you guys probably know this guy, I recorded Notch. Notch is uh, the American Jamaican artist from a group called Born American. Yeah, I started recording him along with other artists in DC. At the time, one of my friends was working at BET, so a lot of the, I don't know if you guys remember, before the BET basement? Yeah, yeah. BET was doing a lot of their recordings outside different studios. So they would choose my studio being that DC was DC's main office was I'm sorry, BET main office was in DC and I was in DC. My friend would ask me, Can I use your studio? Uh Game Stars coming in town. So I would have Guru <laughs> Premier. Yeah, uh, Guru DJ Premier will be in my studio, you know, doing their session. Then after that, we would talk, we would vibe, kind of like what we're doing now. Yeah. And I would get inspired by some of the things they would say, you know, and maybe write or maybe do whatever. Uh, sometimes they will have guys like um, uh, Bismarck Key. Uh, I've seen so many faces come in and out. Mellow Man Ace, who's the the brother of um, Send Dog from Cypress Hill. Okay. <laughs> We will, we will have a lot of people like that. So just, I guess, by me seeing these cats, hearing their music or watching their videos, I will get a lot of inspiration. You know, um, uh, one of the things that you, that you mentioned a minute ago about um, uh, our music, I'm sorry, our style of writing being different because I write for music and you, you write uh, maybe for uh, as, uh, a book writer, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. Well, it, it's it's pretty much the same because you're writing to to wow people or to make people go wow I didn't think about that yeah In, to, to inspire people yeah. so really it is the same only I have to make it melodic mm. and right, yeah. you don't have to stay on beat while you're writing your book you know yeah. what I'm saying yeah yeah so yeah that's probably, that's probably one of the only differences but uh, um probably the same creative process. That's that that's awesome cuz um when you said that you're in the studio and you you know there's people coming in and out and you're just kind of getting inspired even whether it's you know a conversation that you're having with them or just listening to the music or just just seeing them come through and and just getting motivated by them saying you know this is possible like at one point you know I could you know possibly be you know as big as this person and you know video you know crew is following me around um 
I kind of do the same thing when I'm when I'm reading a book or watching a YouTube video or something. I just get inspired and I, you know, yes. I just jump on my a lot of a lot of the stuff is on my phone just because it's the, the fastest thing to get to. But if not, I have my laptop out there. But it, it is true. Um, I feel like you you cannot force inspiration. So um, when it comes to you, you have to jot it down. I know there's you know, we'll, and we'll get to this, but there are stories that Heck told me. Um, you know, like music that you made and he's like, yo, he made this on a car ride home or, or made up these lyrics on the car ride home or something from work. Or, and it was just like fascinating to me because when I get, you know, feedback from my book or, you know, the content on my uh, on my blog or whatever it is, uh, people are like, well, where, where are you getting your material from? Like, how do you come up with your material? And I'm like, you know, it's almost like a little lightning bolt, like a flash of, you know, like a little thought that comes and you have to capture it. You have to harness it. Yeah. Um, at yeah. that moment, or at least relatively close to that moment, um, just so you don't lose it. And the reason, yes, exactly. the reason being, is because you're not going to be as passionate yeah. or as creative ten hours later, or twenty hours later, when you're like, oh yeah, that one thought that I had. Let me just write it down. When it comes yeah. to you, act on it. Right? It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that uh, it's kind of like what you just said, and uh, you probably agree with me. The one uh, thought can lead to a whole page. Yes. But if but if you don't write that one thought down, you can forget it. Later yep. on you're gonna be you're gonna be like, man, what was that? <laughs> and, and I know it was nice, I know it was dope, but I forgot what it was. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. It's yeah. like you gotta write it, you gotta take it at that moment because that one or two lines can lead to a whole verse or to yeah. a whole book of a whole page of a book. Yeah. So yeah. That's a that's a great point. The other um, tool, the other tool that I use on my phone is the uh, the recorder, because then you get like then you yeah. really cause I ha well sometimes like I said it happens when you're driving. I'm like oh no, yeah. so I'm like fumbling my phone trying to get to the recorder, wait praying for a red light. So yeah. I get to the red light, set up the recorder, bing. As soon as I hit that on, I'm good because now I could just talk. But um, yeah. that is true. If you don't if you don't capture it, it's not the same, or you forget. And by the time I get to work, I'm like man, what in the world was I trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So, so, so where do you go from here? So now you have, you know, the whole studio thing's going crazy. Um, you're, 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 you're DJing and, and you're in Washington, DC and you, you start yeah. to create all these connections. Now, now where, where did the name, the foreigner come from? Was that, was that developed oh, in, during that oh. time? Well, the foreigner actually came a little later at, at, at this time. I'm actually a DJ, like in DC, I, I, I'm not even going as a producer. I'm still going by like a, a, a DJ Swift was what they used to call me. Okay. So, um, um, but also during this time where we had the studio, uh, Howard University is right down the street from me and wow. uh, uh, Puff, Sean, Daddy, Comb, Puff Daddy, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. He, <laughs> he is at Howard University right now, huh. so wow. so I'm watching, you know, I'm watching uh, the way the way he back then obviously promoting was totally different than what it is today because we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have yeah. Instagram yeah. or any of that. Yeah. So he would walk around Howard University with a whole bunch of cats with signs that say "Bad Boy Coming Soon," wow. "Bad Boy Entertainment Coming Soon." And I'm like, bad boy entertainment. I'm like, Gee. and but we know these cats because they throw parties. Like Heavy D used to come down to DC and throw parties with uh, Sean Puffy Combs. Wow. 
okay. So, um, so, so, you know, we're like, yo, what's this or whatever. Uh, we had a lot of connections with New York, so a lot of cats will bring CDs or tapes down and be like, check this out. So uh, actually, I was talking to Heck about this earlier. I was listening to Biggie's, some of Biggie's first album. I was listening yeah. to it on tape. On tape. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. so, and, it, and some of the songs are the same, only they had different titles. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So, so before Biggie even came out, we used to be in the studio like, man, that dude is nice. We had no idea that he was a big fat guy or whatever. We just know this dude is nice. Yeah. And we couldn't wait to see him. Or we would uh, pick up like the Source magazine. I don't know if you guys know about the Source magazine. Oh, yeah. It was back then. But the Source had the column where um, they would take an artist and, and give them like three mics, four mics, depending on how dope they were. So that's right. That's from hearing Biggie and then seeing him on the Source magazine, we were like, wow, this dude is going to be big. And then you hear, um, it was all a dream. I used to read Word of Magazine. And I was like, that voice, I was like, yo, this dude, he's, you know, he's going to knock it out the park. Yeah. It was like, that's all it took. And, you know, that's how it is with certain artists. You, you just take that little bit to hear and you're like, that kid's gonna be nice, yeah. you know? And that's how we were listening to Biggie. So um, at this point, I'm, I'm just kicking beats in and out, just doing beats in and out. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a family man, I'm single. Yeah. So I'm in the studio, I'm in the studio day and night. So I met this, uh, uh, this dude named Pierre. Uh, they call him Pete. Pete is from Haiti, but he grew up in Brooklyn and he will always come around the studio, he was like, yo, I'm going to introduce you to some of my friends in New York. And he would say this every time he walked in the studio. I'm going to I'm going to introduce you to my boys in New York. So one day he's like, pack your keyboard because my keyboard is actually the same keyboard I have today. It's a key. It's a, like a sampling station where you could okay. pretty much do everything on it. Uh, Wu-Tang actually actually uh, recorded the first album with the same style keyboard. Wow. So he told me, pack your keyboard, we're going to Brooklyn. So I was like, cool. You know, I pack my keyboard, we're going to Brooklyn. I pack my keyboard. And um, in a, within from the moment I left D.C. to New York, within a expand of two years, I've met Biggie. I met um, a super cat. You know, I was in and out of, you know, hanging with people like Sean Puffy Combs. I met P Rock and CL Smooth. You know, I got to like, I got kind of close with Heavy D. Where Heavy D was listening to some of my my songs in like Spanish or bilingual songs. Yeah. And be like, yo, I'm gonna take you up to Universal. I'm gonna have Universal sign you. You know, stuff like that. So. Yeah. So. That's so dope. So we had people like uh, Universal, Sony, uh, uh, Latin. I think at the moment, I can't remember which was, which was the top Latin uh, record label, but there, there was like a branch of, let's say, Sony and Latin Sony. Okay. And, okay. Some, and so some of these cats were looking at me. To me, it, it was very early. It was very early. I'm sure they weren't just looking at me. They were probably looking at other artists also. Right, right. 
I ran into a, a guy named um, Little Indian who was also hanging around that clique. Now, I'm talking about people like Buster Rhymes, hmm. you know, people like that. This was, this was obviously they were younger. Yeah. And there was no, there was no, man, that's Buster Rhymes. Oh, man. It was like we were just all, we chill and, and don't act like a Martian. Just yeah. act like these are people just like you and I. That's what. That's how we were. So this dude, uh, Indian, little Indian, who's like today, he's you know a pretty cool, cool cat. He gave me a big break. Uh, I consider him like my brother. He told me he wanted to write a song with me because we we used to get you know we used to vibe and everybody kick a verse here and there. So he was like, yeah, I want to write a song with you. So I'm like, cool. You know, just let me know when. So. One morning while I'm in Brooklyn, he wakes me up. He's like, yo. And, and I'm saying he wakes me up because we will sleep. We will, we will go to sleep like at 4 or 5 in the morning. Yeah. If, you, if you know musicians and you know any studio musician, this is the time, you know, you go to bed and then you sleep till noon and then you wake up. This dude woke me up like at 8 in the morning. And he was like, come to the studio. Come to the studio. We got this song we want to do. He was already working on the album for Warner Brothers. And um, I, I jumped on a cab, I went to the studio. The studio is actually, uh, uh, you guys may may not know how we tea. How we tea produce um, uh, the real Roxanne, Ro uh, Roxanne, he did uh, Dougie Fresh, uh, he produced um, Chub Rock. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people were in and out of that studio. So when I got to that studio, I was like, wow, you know, this is how we teach. This dude is big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he tells me to go in the sound booth. They play the song. And uh, after I hear the song, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, I lay my verse down. Um, the song is called One Little Indian. And the, the song... They liked the song so much that they happened to put it out as a first single oh, wow. for this, uh, which was like, was unexpected for me. You know, I'm, I'm only, I'm expecting to be on this guy's album, not to be on his first single. Right, right. Oh, so, um, you know, we shoot a video, we do everything. We, we, we do a, a East Coast tour for the song. Uh, we end up, for, you name it, from north to south. We are all over the place with the song, and it, it kind of like opened the way a little, uh, I guess, a little more for what was happening earlier with the with Warner Brothers and these other labels. Yeah. So now labels were actually paying attention. Right. To uh, to to who I was. So how old were you at this time? Ooh, I was um, around that time. I was like 23 24 so when when you went from dc to new york you're about 23 years old yeah 23 24 years old okay so anyway so um we do the song you know we we we, we end up uh doing a lot of uh small tours here and there right open open for people like usher this is usher when usher first came out wow. his first uh, Usher, crazy. like Monica, you know, people like Usher, Monica, kind of like anybody that was around during that time. The Lost Boys, uh, Naughty by Nature, hmm. you know, groups like that. So, so 
So let me ask you something. So you you put you put this song together. You laid your verse down. It's titled "One Little Indian." Uh, mm-hmm. You and uh, you and this other guy are just are touring back and forth. I want to I want to ask you a question about the actual performing. Now, mm-hmm. did you get an adrenaline rush just as much uh, from the performance? Because I know a lot of people are um, like there's ghostwriters out there who can yeah. write their butts off and they're very talented. You know, musically inclined, all but they don't want to perform for nothing. They don't want to be in the you know in the forefront, so to speak, front and center. Yeah. Um, how how was that experience? Did you naturally transition to it? Did you want that's what you wanted to do, or you kind of just were just doing it just cause? It's actually it's actually kind of like always been that way for me. Yeah. Because I really I really never wanted to be up front. Right. You know, I was always a DJ. I was a producer, and then when people. After people left the studio, I would I would challenge myself to write something better than what they just did. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So so that's something that I, I kind of like always did, but I was I, I never wanted to be on stage really. Yeah. Um, uh, but when I was on stage, I, I you get a little nervous. You get a little nervous, but the moment you step on stage, I was never nervous. Nervous. Right. Like that feeling went away. The moment I step on stage, it's gone. I don't know what it is, but when you're backstage, you know, butterflies, you hear you hear the crowd, you hear the people, whatever, or you just hear the person announcing that you're about to go on stage and, and you wanna rush to the bathroom at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 um but once you're on stage it's all gone. At least for me it is. And I There's... talk to other guys that that you know that have more experience on stage than I do, and they tell me the same thing. They tell me, you get a little nervous, and once you're on, you're on. And then, it, you know, everything goes out the window. There's a, um, for anyone out there that's, you know, wants to kind of relate to what Eric is saying right now, there's a video on YouTube. You have to look this up. If that kind of even interests you, or if this happens to you, whether you're a public speaker or, or you're an artist like Eric going up on stage for the first time, um, there is... Uh, or you're just a competitor in general and, and you get that the you know the butterflies in your stomach right before you know it's all about to go down so to speak there's a video of Mike Tyson explaining his entrance into the ring up until his actual fight it is I mean I guarantee you're gonna get chills it is like jaw driving because he puts you into the into his mind he's explaining mm. what's going on through his head as yes. he's walking out so like he he's and and I'm gonna completely you know not do this just you know justice, but I'll I'll kind of explain. So he's in the back getting you know uh, getting warmed up and getting dressed up. So he's like, what in the? So he's he's explaining his thought process. He's like, what in the world am I doing? Why am I? Why did I get into this? Why did I challenge this guy? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then boom, they show him like they're like taping up his hands. He's like, this dude's gonna knock me out. What am I doing? This guy's bigger than me. He's like, oh my god, this dude's gonna eat me alive. And he has all these doubts that are going through his mind. Then boom, he's dressed up. He puts the hood. He puts the hood on, and he's like, come on, Mike. What are you talking about? Come on, you could do this. Come on, buddy. Whatever. So he keeps explaining it, and now all of a sudden he sees the 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 uh, the crowd go crazy when he walks when he walks into the thing. He's like, oh man. Now you now you're stuck. You can't run back now. So now he's like, boom, you're at full commitment at this point. So then he goes he goes, uh, there's no running back or whatever. And so now he's like, then you you jump up on the on the three steps leading to it. He's yeah. like, Oh man, it's go time. That's it, Mike. Now you gotta fight this guy. And he mm-hmm. says when he gets into the ring, he goes, 
boom, that's it. This guy's dead. He's mine. I'm a god. No one could touch me. And dude, he goes, he's like, I'm an immortal. Dude, his explanation will freaking blow your mind. Do I get the chill saying it? And I had a terrible version of that, ex- <laughs> uh, you know, that story. But he it goes is, through the whole range of emotions. Yes, he goes through the whole range of emotions. He's like, my eyes yeah. are watering up. Just like, I just want to kill this guy. And it's, yeah. it's insane, but it's the same kind of like what you're talking about. It's like, you know, you have all these doubts, you're nervous because you just don't. I always explain is like, you just don't want to mess up. You're given an opportunity. Yep. You just don't want to mess it up. That's all. People are like, well, what are you nervous about? You know what you're doing. Yeah, you do know what you're doing. You just you don't do. want to yeah. let people down. You just don't want to let people down. You don't want to mess it up. That's all. It, that's And that's natural. I feel like if you yep. don't have that, you're there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or you're taking right? it for granted or something. I don't know. Yeah. All right, so all right, so let's go on. So the performance kind of thing was, you know, you just did it just because that was part of. You're just jumping on the opportunity, really. Yep. Well, I love it. Like yeah. it's something that that I love music. So, and and I was doing it like off and on. Like some of my friends, we, we would go to open mic in DC, and I wasn't a rapper, but I would go to open mic night, and we yeah. would we would rock, and people would be like, "But, but he's a DJ, right?" You know, and then um. I've been in a lot of situations where people would look at me and, and it'll be like a cipher going on and people don't expect me to spit what comes out of my mouth. Right, They're like, right. wait a minute, you know, but then then if I do it in Spanish and English, even worse, because yeah, yeah. they're like, but you're black. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, it's like you really throw them off then. So, right. But I, it's just something that I really... Uh, I really enjoy, it. and I'm very thankful. Like uh, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to Hector, but I always thank God when I write something because I truly don't think it's just me. It's like some of the stuff that I write, I look, I, I listen to myself or I read it, and I'm like, I didn't write that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, know, like, you, know what, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. Like the inspiration was at, at, at some level that you know. You were not at that level on your own. Yes, something just took so over. I'm, I'm so it. thankful to God, man, for some of the, some of the um, some of the things that I've written in the past. Yeah, you know? no, I know what you mean because sometimes you read back, or someone's reading back to like, yo, uh, I read some of your book or whatever, some of your posts. You said blah blah blah, I'm like, and I'm looking at them. I was like, I did not write that. I'm like, yo, I wrote that. I'm like, dang, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I, but but it's true. It, it, it's one yeah. of those things. I feel like, and and we talk about this all the time. If if you have any interest in this topic, look up what a mastermind is. And this is this is what happens. I believe um, when you pour in your all into something at some level and at some point, I just believe God intervenes and helps you out and goes. And there's just like yeah. there's a little electric bolt that. Yeah. is just throwing these little sparks of genius into your mind, and boom, it just hits you, and you're just boom. And you yeah. stand back, you're like, I wrote that? I'm like, what in the world? How'd that happen? Um, yeah. I just feel like that comes to people who are very passionate about something. And those sparks of genius happen because of that level of interaction. Let's let's move on from here. So where, where are you at now? Are you in now? So now you live in New York. Yeah. You're a DJ and a producer at this point. I'm, I'm in New York. I'm going into into studios with, I'm, you know, at times... We're coming up and down from D.C. I'm coming up with a... I was in a group called D2E Down to Earth, which was uh, made up of myself, this kid from Jamaica, and a kid from Philly. So if you can imagine, 
the kid from Philly, he's amazing. He's a great writer. And uh, the guy from Jamaica just had a, like a patois style, kind of like a bujubantan, but kind of like a lighter voice, not so rough. Okay. Yeah. And then me, I could do Spanish or English, go back and forth. So you hear when you heard our songs, there was like so much in the song because of our, our styles were different. Yeah. Kind of right. like kind of like Fushnikin style. Yeah, sort the Fushnikins. Like you know, so we would go up and down to New York at times. Uh, Firehouse Studio was one of the studios that I remember because uh, that's where Wu-Tang recorded 36 Chambers. Wow. So so we were going to the studio. We were recording with this uh, engineer named Carlos Best. And Carlos was the engineer for Wu-Tang back then, too. Wow. So, um, that's dope. you know, I, I remember one day walking in the studio and I saw um, RZA. Huh. And... And I'm and I'm looking for this output expander for my ASR10, which is my keyboard. And the output expander is sort of like to send the bass here, send the snare there. You know, it mm. it, it splits everything instead of just having it left and right. Oh, okay. And um, and RZA happened to be the only one that had one. So he like, yo man, I'm getting ready to go to LA. So you can hold on to it, man. No big deal. You know, you can use it anytime you want. If Carlos here, Carlos can lend it to you. So I'm like, this is this Mad chill, yeah. Is, and, and he's talking to me like, like we cool. Right, you know? right, right. So he's cool about me using the, the, the material, using the stuff that they have in the studio. Um, another, another day that I remember was walking in the studio. And at the moment I walk in, there's a notebook. And the notebook says Method Man right in the front of it. Wow. And I'm curious. I'm like, wow, Method Man. So I opened it. I opened it. And, and <laughs> you can read it, but you don't know how to say it. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Know, Method, Method Man is like, you. there's no way you're going to copy Method Man, his yeah. style. So I'm looking at the book. I'm like, wow, man, Method Man's book. So I was like, Carlos, Method Man left his book over here. And I handed it to him. like, man. Because they were in California at the time. And he's like, man, you know how many people would have grabbed that book and jet it with it? And I'm like... <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know why. There's nothing you can do with it if you don't know how to say it. Yeah. What What are you gonna do with the book? You right. know, I understand if it was, let's say, something you would have would have written, and it's just for a book. Right. But if it's right. for a song, it's no way in the world Hector is gonna write a song, and I'm gonna just grab it with no melody behind it yeah. and do it exactly the way he did it. <laughs> yeah. He had no I'm idea. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. It's like meth. It's too much flavor to him. So. <laughs> It's just that's one of the, the crazy things that that happened. It's like so. So this studio, man. That, there's a there's a lot of um, obviously a lot of activity going around. This is where uh, we're in New York at this point, and it got you know the mecca of hip hop. Basically, that's where it all you know it came from. And and where did you guys have to pay for studio times? I know that's like a big thing. Like how, how did how did that? I, there's so many people that yes. I hear like that they they have studio time. I don't know how it was back then, or I, I'll I'll have you explain it. But it's so expensive that yeah. nowadays that these dudes have to have everything prepared. Like yeah. they don't eat when they're there. They don't do none. So they eat before they go. They have a bunch of waters. 
around uh, yeah. uh, with them. They have all their stuff like literally ready to go. So the second you walk in the door, your time starts. You're going so to, you're yeah. getting down to business. Yeah, like you have the studio for two hours, three hours, four hours, whatever. You have a blocks of time. I mean, the wealthier people are like, oh, we have it for a whole week. Yeah. But if you're just starting <laughs> and you don't have money and you can only afford two hours, you better get your money's worth. You ain't eating. You ain't going to the bathroom. Nothing. Dude, people just literally walk up to the mic, mic check, sound check, do whatever, and they just start recording. And they're like, we'll yeah. add the beat on or whatever. Later, we'll you know do the mixing. How, how was, yeah. how'd that work out for you guys? When, um, when I was recording an artist, my fees were like 40 50 an hour. And you never tell the artist, like, come prepare. You tell him he can do whatever he wants. That's his time. Yeah. But then when I started going to studios, like in New York, like, say it was like 75 an hour. Yeah. Or, sure. or it'll be like, uh, or you can block it. You can block three hours, four hours for, let's say, 250. It was some kind of deal like that. Right, 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 right. You know, um, but we were ready. We were like, we know the song we want to do, and we know the lyrics. And we know everything. We're not gonna go in the studio to vibe to the beat because that's you know obviously that's a waste of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, beat, so, yeah. So the moment we got there, the moment we get there, we like here's the real to real, load it up. This is the song, lay it down while the engineer is laying down and maybe tweaking some of the sounds on the song. We probably on a corner somewhere rehearsing what we're about to do in the sound booth. At the end, don't even worry about mixing it down. You want it like a rough mix for you to take with you to see if you needed to come back again to change something or lay something down again. But you never wanted a perfect mix either because the next day the mix was going to sound totally different to your ears. Yeah. You know, when you bang your ears all night and it sounds wonderful, the next day it sounds like crap. So you like, you know, you got to go either go back in and, and redo it or whatever, but. So at this well, yeah, point, uh, were you trying when when you went into the studio, you know, laying down tracks or whatever? Were you trying to put together an album? Were you trying to put a project together, or this was just for various, you know, different projects that had nothing to do with each other? Well, at at that time, I was trying to put put a project together. There were also times where Howie T or someone would call me and say, "I have a group from L.A. that needs a verse." in the middle of this song or whatever. Yeah. You know, there were several times with the way I had to do that. And I would go in the studio unprepared because that wasn't, my, you know, it's their studio time. Yeah. Actually, depend, like, let's say you're the artist and, and uh, Universal. Universal is your record label. Universal is paying the whole bill. But eventually, you're going to pay for it because that's coming out of your budget. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Say, say, uh, you became a you became a rap artist. Universal gave you a contract. Your contract is worth two hundred fifty thousand. Everything is coming out of that two hundred fifty thousand. They may not tell you that, hmm. but when you do a show in Miami and you stay at this hotel and you ate at this store, whatever it was that you did, and you took a cab here because you forgot something and took it back, all that's coming out of your budget. Believe me, somebody is taking all those receipts and all that money that they're giving you. <laughs> eventually, it's going, it's going to come out of your budget. Right. Your video, <laughs> you know, somebody may tell you, go with this $30,000 video. And you may say, I want the 50000 because it looks better. That's going to come out of your, your budget. Right. And so, a, lot so, of people don't, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, there's a lot of young kids today that think that 
they can just go in and become famous. That's a lot. There's there's so much to it that I, I, I'm I'm kind of upset that people don't teach the kids. You know what I mean? Because you just like grabbing a kid and and having them believe that they're going to be famous when really they're going to be in debt. Yeah. So basically, you know? so basically, what you're saying is that so say say uh, Universal. You keep saying Universal. Universal goes, hey, we're giving you two hundred fifty thousand. They give you the two hundred fifty thousand, but they're not giving you that money yet. They're giving you. No. They're, you're doing the tour. You're you're going stay in a hotel. You're doing this. You're doing yeah, that. Time, so at the That's end cool. at at the end of all this, they subtracted all this at that two hundred fifty thousand. So you, you may end up with only like thirty grand after total. After all that, is yeah. that what you're saying? Like that's what they use that for? Right. Like yeah. What's well, he's saying happen? you end up in debt. So you use well, yeah, you end up making making or losing money, right? Yeah. What's going to happen is um, you when your record comes out. Everything that sells is gonna go back to the company until they recoup okay. everything they lend you. Yeah. So it's like a you so know, unless you, it goes above and beyond, then you don't get anything. Yeah, you you may get money from uh, tour here and there, little things here and there, but you're not gonna get much. You know, everything is going back. So they're based the a contract is really just front. It's a front. They're fronting you the money. Yeah, they front you the money. That's all that is. They want that you, back. And you better know how to work it to where you can give them the money back and then you still make some. Yeah. Right. But, but the kids are not thinking about that. They're thinking I'm going to be famous and that's it. They're not thinking, they're not thinking, okay, I'm going to sit down with my company and we're going to come up, we're going to come up with a nice logo, say Hector Velez is the artist. All right. So we're going to come up with the hats, with the, with the jackets or with the wristbands or whatever. Mm. But we're gonna make it nice so people can buy it. We're gonna make some pink ones for the girls so the ladies can buy them. Yeah, the merchandise. Kids, the kids are not thinking about any of that. Yeah. They're just thinking, "I'm famous, and I shot a video." Everybody, <laughs> who I am. <laughs> they're not thinking. You know, they're not thinking. I have to make sure that these hats sell, yeah. so I could pay off this money, so then I can start making money. You know what I mean? It, it, but it, it's so much deeper than just that. That's just like the, the beginning. The beginning. Yeah, there, I saw a uh, a special on uh, the rapper Pitbull based is, out of Florida. Is, is he a rapper, Pitbull? Or is well, he? he let's just say the artist. He started off as a rapper. He was a hardcore yeah, hip hop yeah. rapper. Like he was yeah, a he was, he was nasty, a, a drug dealer rapper is what Pitbull was. And then he he smartened up, kind of what Eric is talking about. And it was back, it was in 2009. And the only reason why I know this is because I just watched this documentary about two weeks ago. And in 2009, it was when his old contract, uh, either it was over or they, the company like called it off and he jumped on to the new, to a new contract. But anyway, he was talking about being knowledgeable. He's like, being an artist is one thing. He's like, that's actually probably 10% of it. 90% of it is the business aspect that what Eric is saying no one yes. talks about. He's like, you know how many talented people there are? He's like, Go to your church. You'll see a very talented singer. But they don't have the business aspect. They don't know how to run the, the business part of it. They don't know how the, the marketing works. They don't have none of that, how to, how to maintain mm-hmm. a budget. He was talking about on one of his, on one, I guess it was a contract that he had or entered. He's like, this is the stuff that you don't think about, right? So they say, we're going to give you album sales right the physical album sales so whatever we sell let's just say you get one percent of total sales okay this is just an example i don't know how the numbers work yeah. it's just say it's one percent 
And then when you go on tour for each show, uh, we're charging, you know, for whoever wants to, you know, bring you to their city, it's $50,000. You get 10 grand. Okay, great. Fantastic. He's like, here's the thing. He's like, my album came out, right? And and I'm only mentioning two things that you make money off of. I'm sure there's like a boatload of other stuff that they, you know, potentially could make money off of. Yeah. Um, th- his album came out. All this, you know, album sales are going crazy through the roof. Guess where they made the most money off of? And he had no idea because he was not, you know, thinking in that direction. It was streaming. So this is when streaming <laughs> came out. Oh, so his wow. digital sales were crushing it. And he was like, well, where, where's all my album money at? And they're like, well, we basically made it all. We knew streaming was going to be big. And that's and they weren't allowed, They weren't putting that into contracts at that point. No. Yeah. It was too early in the game because they were basically so, testing So he out. wasn't making money off? He wasn't making money, no money off any. Off anything any, that was streamed? Anything that was streamed. Oh, damn. Yeah. It was something to that extent. I don't know if that's specifically what it was. Right, but, right. Um, it was something like that. But it's kind of what Eric's saying. You don't know. It's business. That it's the music business point where a kid is just enthralled with being quote famous, right, uh, right. when really they're just being used yeah. uh, by yeah. a company uh, and they're just being exploited. Yeah. So so what other um you know so so you're at the point where j- just kind of take us back one more step. So so mm-hmm. where 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 do you go from there? When you had all the studio time and you're you know. Um, Howie T's calling you in, doing some shows, or uh, dropping down some um, some lyrics, some lyrics into you yeah. know songs and, and jumping on other albums. Where, where do you go from there? So now you know this is this is the '90s. Obviously, I'm trying to I'm trying to do as much work as I can. I mean, not only do I love music, but also we need money. So yeah, I'm working. I'm chasing. Chasing, chasing labor. A lot of times you will do some work and you don't see the money mm. until you actually walk up to the record label and you kind of like sit there until they cut you a check mm. or tell you, okay, the check is going to be at your house in three days. Three days go by, you back at the label again, like, where's my check? That's why you hear stories of people running up to the the you know the buildings and the labels and, and like with a baseball bat and turn up all kinds of awards and and <laughs> platinum records That's and you know crazy. it's because because they they give you a hard time for your money you know they they give you a hard time um so so yeah so this is this is part of still part of the 90s um one of the one of the uh, I think I told Hector this also one of the times that I remember clearly also that I've actually I've never spoke to anyone about in, in an interview or anything like that was uh, going up to a studio, Quad, Quad Studio in Manhattan. And we were basically about to, uh, we we're going to record a song with Tupac. So hmm. Howie T, again, it was Howie T, Howie T called me. He said, uh, we're going to do a song with Tupac. And, and the song was Little Sean's. I don't know if you guys know who Little Sean is, but... Little Sean was, he's also a ghost writer. He wrote for other people, but also he wrote for himself. Um, you, actually, Biggie mentioned Little Sean in one of his songs. Uh, uh, what's the song? I don't remember. Oh, Party and BS. I don't know if you remember that song. It's an old Biggie song, but he mentioned Little Sean on the song. And um, Little Sean was always in the cyphers with us, and he liked my style. So he used to tell me, one day we're going to do a song. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take you in the studio. We're going to do a song. So I get the phone call from Howie, and Howie was like, Little Sean and Pac 
want you on this song. I don't, I truly don't know if Pac knew I was going to be on the song, but that's what he said. So I was like, I'm there. Yeah, hell yeah, so we, run to that. We headed, we, me and my man, uh, Indian, we headed to, to the studio in Manhattan. And we, um, we sat in the studio, we listening to the music, you know, and we, you know, talking and writing. Uh, Quad Studio is three floors. So in one of the floors, Biggie was recording. So it was like the whole Junior Mafia. Junior Mafia was recording. I don't know what they were recording. But uh, the other floor was SWV. So SWV <laughs> is in one studio. Yeah, yeah. and actually Puffy was there and Andre Harrell happened to be there. Andre Harrell, uh, I think at the time he was either Puffy's right-hand man or something. I don't, I don't remember clearly. But um, And then the third studio was where Little Sean... Uh, myself and and Pac were gonna be. So we in the studio, we waiting, you know, we waiting. We go down to the store for a minute, we get something to drink, come back up, and um, next thing you know, Pac comes out of the elevator. This is like the second or third floor, but Pac comes out of the elevator, but he's bleeding. He's like bleeding, he's got blood pouring out his face. And so people start rushing everywhere, little chunk, pulls up a chair for him. He's like asking him all kinds of questions. And Pac is basically saying, I can't believe they did this to me. This was the first time that he actually got shot. When he got shot five times going into the studio. Hmm. I don't know if you guys read That's that. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I remember that story. Yep. Was the, yeah, that was the first time. Yeah. Hmm. And the way it happened was... That's what kicked off the... Somebody war. waited for him to go in the elevator and they shot him in the elevator. And luckily, he happened to come out of the elevator with his life still. Hmm. So he sat down. While he sat down, some of the people in his crew are going crazy. Basically, like, if my boy dies, everybody in here is dying. So, you know, we're like, man, you know, we, every, of course, everybody is like, first of all, you're concerned because one of hip-hop's best artists is shot up. And he's right there in front of you. You're like, what's going on? Right. So now they're talking about the cops are getting ready to come up to the studio. So everybody's taking their piece out and hiding them somewhere. People were sticking pieces in the piano, you know, <laughs> behind the water heater, everywhere. People were just like getting rid of whatever they had on themselves. Uh, this time, I don't know if you guys know, but he was already having trouble with the law where he was, you know, basically being parked. I think he had trouble with two cops in Atlanta where he stepped out of the car and actually like they had like somewhat a shootout from what I heard. So so the cops already they didn't like him. They didn't yeah. like Pop. And he had a court date coming up that the rape charge. Yeah. That oh, was yeah. so you know, so here comes the cops came in, the cops are asking people for ID, this and that. In the meantime, they're kind of like waiting for this guy to bleed to death because they're not even calling an ambulance or, hmm. or they, you know, they're not doing what you would normally do when somebody got shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, so how's the hanging, Pac? Who did this to you? You know, all these questions so calm and you're not even calling an ambulance for the dude. So Yeah, that's crazy. They're dragging so it along. Yeah, so so um, make the long that long story short. The ambulance finally came. Uh, um, so many stories about it, about maybe it was Bad Boy, maybe it was Biggie. 
So that's so, crazy. So you're like, you know, in the, this fascinating uh, time of, of hip hop where the two of hip hop's legends were in the middle of their whole career. And yeah. to make it even, you know, more interesting, you're basically part of hip hop history when, you know, Pac got shot five times uh, in yeah. the elevator. And so you're a part of this. So I remember, you know, in the beginning of this interview, you said, I am hip hop, but, and you were referring to one thing. And like, the more you talk, it's like, it's almost you're watching or, or I feel like I'm listening to hip hop itself yeah. unfold, like yeah. the birth of hip hop, uh, maybe not the birth, but like the adolescence almost. Of, yeah, of some of, yeah. Some of it, some of it. I, um, I, I mean, I've seen a lot, seen a lot backstage, seen a lot through my walk. And, and, and because I, like I said before, I love it. So when there's information about it, I want to know because I love it. This yeah. is something that I that I grew up with. This is something that I want to see. I want to see it more in a positive light than a negative. Yeah. Right now, right now is very difficult, but things come around. Yeah. Things come around. You know what I mean? So that's, that's like so my, they, my daughter. She ordered she, for Christmas. <laughs> so, she wanted us to get a uh, shell tops for Christmas. Shell tops been out for how long now? Shell tops yeah. are old. I had shell tops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, shell tops are old, and they're they're bringing these things out like if they were the new Jays that just came out or something. Like they make it seem like they started something new. Yeah. They don't realize that they've yeah. been those been out for so long. Yeah. And it, and it happened with music. You know, it's like we we were in the in the nineties. Nobody could tell us anything because we were sampling all these sounds, and the, yeah. and the music was great. We were actually, as you know. We were taking sounds from our parents, yep. yeah. you know. So, yep. so it was coming back around. Yeah. We were, we were, reu- we were using it again in a different way, in a more modern, modern way. way. Yeah, but it was the same thing they were doing. You know, they so, may not, they didn't like all of it. Just like today, I don't like a lot of the hip hop that's out today. But I, but I remember my dad how he was. Yeah. So uh, I don't want to be the same way, and I want to give it a chance, and I want to understand today's hip hop. Yeah, you know, knowing that there is positive, there is negative, but there's also positive. And what can we do to to make it to make the positive stand out front, and not so much the negative of it? So if if you know, trying to understand the kids today, and uh, I think there's also an effort for the kids today trying to understand the generation before them mm-hmm. um and and in that conversation that you would have with someone what would be to this two part who who was your favorite you know looking back now 90s uh artist you know aside from yourself or aside from maybe it's someone that the world doesn't know and and also with that how would you explain the '90s era to the new generation? Uh, the the '90s, um, wow! It was it was very creative because we took so we took so many different things to come up with one thing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying is like Absolutely. we took we had we took a record, we took a sample or two or three out of that record we made it sound slightly different or we purposely made it sound the same way our parents did it but we threw a boom pat on top of it yeah yeah make it to make it ours 
I don't I don't know if that's a that's a good explanation of it, but you know, like that is like. I feel that's like the, the the process, um, even just thinking about that, the process was different. You talking earlier about the whole copy and paste thing. There's more involvement uh, with the development of getting one, I guess, track put together uh, when it comes mm -hmm. to you know even just generating ideas about it and then physically putting it together. Uh, where nowadays, literally, um, I'm in my home office and I could probably record an entire album now. Yeah it would probably not be to the best quality or whatever, but we have the tools like yeah. at our fingertips right now that yes, someone like me who has no background or whatever, I can easily, you know, do it. What they call, oh, he just pro tools his whole album, whatever. Yeah. It's almost like a joke. Um, yeah. Whereas before, I feel like the hardcore process of literally, that that still amazes me, the copy and paste thing. Yeah. It was a way more in-depth effort you had to put towards to even make something that sounded good. So when the end product came, I'm sure you guys appreciated it much more. Yeah. Now I was gonna say uh, another good example of that is um, today, anybody can DJ today. Yeah. You know, before we we had to listen to a song and then picture. Well, that's the way I used to do it. I will play a song and I will picture the next song in my head that may go well with the song that I'm playing. Gotcha. So I will pull. So I will pull that song out. And either I'll slow it down or sped it up a little bit to match the next song before I bring it into the mix. Right. Today, you have like virtual DJ and all these tools where you could take two songs and it's going to tell you what the beats per minute of that song is. Yeah. So you can't go wrong. It's like it's yeah. there. Yeah, and, yeah, if, yeah. and if the beats per minute is different than the song you just placed, there's a button that can automatically slow it down to the exact tempo of the other one. Wow. When before we had to manually, we had to go in the crate and find a song yeah. that you want. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not like, crates. oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to do search and I'm going to type. <laughs> I'm going to Google. You know what I'm saying? It was totally different. You had to really know the songs. Yeah. Like you had yes. to legitimately yeah, you had to, understand. You had to know the artist, know the song. And think about that. And nowhere on it. the record and, it was at. And no, especially yeah, no on the record. Yeah. So you had yeah, to pinpoint and the, that. And you and then remember that we had to, as a DJ, you have to go to the party, and you have to carry two, three crates oh, because yeah. these were records. You're not yep. carrying a briefcase with MP3s. Yeah. You're now carrying all these records, and you gotta go back and forth with those, and you gotta keep an eye on anybody trying to snatch your records. <laughs> while you're digging into this one crate i mean it, it was so it was it was so involved yeah you know thinking of thinking about it today is like man this kid's got it easy yeah. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> what um so do you have an artist that you uh you would say or or, or or maybe two or three that you say embodied that hard work that or, or that you think of the 90s and you're like that dude, he was the man. And it doesn't have to be anyone that was famous. Maybe it's someone that no one knows. Yeah, I um, I, have, I know a couple of artists that no one, I'm not going to say no one knows, but hardly, people hardly know them that are very, very good at what they do. Um, one, of my, one of my friends that I told you from Philadelphia, his name is uh, J. Cole. Uh, the way he, he writes, it's like he, he always told me, uh, always make the next song better than your last song. 
You know what I mean? And uh, and and I won't, and I always do that. I'll, even even if the song doesn't turn out to be better than the last one, at least I know I know that I put that effort. Yeah. To make it better than the last one, and 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 he taught me that. And and more than more than style and lyrics, I like that about an artist. An artist can, that can give you information that that's going to take you, it's going to take you further. You know what I mean? Like that's advice that today I give artists that ask me for advice. I always tell them, you know, make your next song better than your last one because that alone you have to work. You have to think and you have to work. How am I going to make this song better than the last one? Right. Especially when, especially like the song is yours and you know that's your baby. So you're like, you rocking that song. Yeah, yeah, like, that's yeah. my song, man. That's hot. <laughs> and now you got to go to the studio and make one better than the song that you know is hot. Right. And you yeah. know it's the joint. So that's, you know, that's one of the things that I say to kids. Um, but as far as artists that are, that are out today or that out in the 90s and still here today or whatever. Yeah. I like um, Cool G Rap. I like uh, uh, Rakim. I like Slick Rick. And one of my favorite, favorite, favorite artists is Redman. Nice. Redman yes. Red is like, to me, it's so underrated, man. But Redman is, is just Redman to me. Like he's, he's also, I think he took a page from Slick Rick about storytelling even though uh, storytelling might not have been like a, a clean or what you expected, but it came from it came from what he felt, and it was written well. So I, I, I kind of like dig his music a lot. Uh, artists today, um, like I go back and forth with Hector to find out what's going on today because I'm not in touch with a lot of the new stuff today yeah but you know obviously like you know with him we go back and forth with like what drake is doing or what kendrick lamar is doing you know what i mean like uh, just recently we i i called him over to my to my desk and i was like yo check this kid out uh anderson park remember we we yeah. heard that too? and anderson park is like nice so so the music is not it's not totally lost it's just what people choose to give you, what people yeah. choose to feed you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's all you're gonna know. But if you if you take time to research yourself, or, or you know, you, you man, you're gonna find so many artists that are so nice that may not even have like one download. Yeah. But are like awesome artists, you know. So so um, there's 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 a lot of a lot of artists that I get inspiration from. All right, so to to wrap this up, uh, for someone just getting started in the music industry, what are what are the first things they should know to understand before even beginning? Um, maybe there's just advice to you know like a younger person just entering into the music industry. What you mm -hmm. be if if you were their mentor, if you were their coach, um, what would you tell them? Uh. The first thing I will tell them is uh, do it because you love it. Because if you don't love it, you're not going to do it right and you're not going to do it long. Mm. So why do it if you're going to, if it's something that's like, I'm only going to do it for a year or two or yeah. whatever. It's kind of like a phase. You know, our, our dream, when we grow up, when we say I want to be a doctor, we don't say we want to be a doctor because we want to be a doctor for two weeks or, or a year. Right. You want to be a doctor. So if you really, 
you know, you, you want to waste your time asking me, <laughs> you know, like, how should I go about this? The first thing I'm going to say is do it because you love it. Yeah. And then after that, a lot of, a lot of things are going to go your way because, because you love it. For example, you know, if somebody tells you that song stinks, okay, it may stink. You're going to take that advice or you're going to listen or you may know better and know that it doesn't stink. But you're going to continue yeah. because you love it. They're not going to tell you. They're not going to tell you something that you're going to go, oh, man, forget it. I ain't doing this no more. Yeah. You love it. You're going to. That's why today I still I still do music today. Yeah. Because it's something that I, lo I love being creative and coming up with different things, kind of like writing a small book or telling a little story or whatever. But, you know, when, at the at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I did that. Thank you, God, for allowing me, you know what I mean, for giving me the, the, the talent to be able to, to complete a song. You know, not too many people can say that. Yeah. Not too many people can say I wrote that book or, you know what I mean, I, I, I wrote this speech. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you, you, you have to love it. Uh, second, I think they they got to copyright everything they write. You, you have to get it. You got to copyright. It's easier today. Uh, back when I was coming up, everything that I wrote, I would take to the Library of Congress in D.C. because I was in D.C. anyway. So I would get on the bus or I would drive to the Library of Congress and get everything copyright. Wow. And the way you do it, a lot of people, oh, but it costs so much money. Well, if somebody steals it, you're not getting any money. Yeah. Okay. So, so, get right. It, so, right, so get it copyright. You don't have to do one song. Like uh, they'll charge you thirty dollars for a song, but if you do something like I forget what they call it, it's not a bundle, but it's it's a bundle where you, let's say you do a whole compilation, you can pay let's say forty dollars. So instead of paying thirty for one to copyright one song, you know, pay forty and do fifty songs. Yeah, and, just, okay. and, and fifty songs will be one title. Yeah. You know, it'll be like um, Eric's songs or whatever, and boom, you you just, you know. So today, that's what I do. Today is a lot easier. Today, I can go to copyright.com and get my songs copyright. But, but those are two things that that I feel that an artist has to do, and it'll make life a lot easier for them, because because some people want to kill people for their music. So, sure. so yeah. copyright. So you don't have to kill anybody for your music. <laughs> you can just sue them. <laughs> Solid advice. So uh, make sure you're passionate. Do it because you love it and get your stuff copywritten. And that's just two pointers uh, that we received at, at the tail end of this episode with that was explosive uh, with storytelling, memories, and, and the real game um, of hip-hop. And, and this guy is a wealth of knowledge and we, I think we're probably going to have to have you on again because I'm just like fascinated with these stories here. And I'm sure you haven't even scratched the surface of, you know, what you can tell us. Yeah, so fantastic episode. That was very interesting. And, and I have like 400 questions that popped to my head like as you're talking. So we would definitely have to get you on again. But um, all right. So how can, so how can uh, people reach you or follow you or if someone had questions uh, you know, wanted to, you know, pick your brain for some advice or whatever it may be, wanted to connect with you. How, how can they connect with you? They can find me as the foreigner 
uh, almost in, in, in everything, uh, Facebook, Instagram, or uh, Twitter. Okay. Uh, D-A-F-O-R-E-I-G-N-A, the foreigner. At times I go by Waka Bim Bam only because that's uh, Waka is like a Waka Clan is a crew of different artists and different, I don't even want to say just artists because it's like DJ artists, uh, lawyers from Panama and oh. everyone has a name Waka in front of it and it was way before Waka Flaka Flame or <laughs> way before he came out there was a Waka clan in Panama so they call me Waka Bim Bam so at times you can find me as Waka Bim Bam B-I-M-B-A-M or The Foreigner on, on uh, pretty much anything out there I have songs on um, on iTunes on the, the Foreigner songs on um, uh, what do you call it Spotify I mean, you name it. You know, I'm 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 out there. I'm not a top artist, but uh, my stuff is, is still out there. And and right now, um, my main focus is is um, just trying to do. I'm really trying to find a kid that's nice that I can write for, like really nice. Yeah. Like you know, but but more of a. It's kind of difficult finding a kid with their head well placed you know yeah, what i mean it's yeah. very difficult so but if, if i could do that one day because i feel like i could write every day there's times where i wake up i think i told hector i could wake up from a dream and remember half of a verse that i heard in the dream i remember i had a dream i was watching somebody perform and and i remember what the person said in the performance in my dream wow so i wrote it down so is that considered me biting somebody's style or is it my own style because it was my dream no because he didn't copyright it <laughs> <laughs> uh that's awesome so uh let's wrap this episode up uh we like to wrap it up with quotes and uh of you know appropriately we have tupac and biggie quotes so the first one's by tupac and it goes like this my mama always used to tell me if you can't find something to live for you best find something to die for and then the, uh, the biggie one goes like this. How real can your music be if you wake up in the morning hearing birds and crickets? I never heard birds when I wake up. Just a lot of construction work, the smell of Chinese takeout, children mm -hmm. screaming, and everybody knocking a different track from ready to die as they pass down the street. <laughs> uh, Listen to his own track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, awesome. So this episode titled Music to My Ears. In this episode, we had special guest, producer, writer, Eric Harris, a.k.a. DeFarna. We discussed the music industry, the business, music from the 90s, the importance of having good lyrical content, producing music, the new era versus the old era, our favorite 90s artists, and advice for someone just getting started in the music industry. We wrapped the episodes up with quotes from Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac Shakur. All right, so in in uh, in exiting this episode, uh, Eric, you're gonna uh, you know walk us out of this with it with a freestyle or what's up? Yes, yeah, I wanna I wanna kick some for you since you were you were talking about uh, Biggie and um, and uh, Tupac's quotes. Uh, a lot of my stuff have my music is kind of like full of quotes at times, and I just wanted to uh, uh, just rock one verse, and I'm gonna do one in Spanish and English because that's who I am. And he goes, um, I was born in the slums of a central. 
American country and memento reacts and attacks an instrumental just like I did Abuelita's Rice and Lentils. Dame un momento y de una vez aclaremos que esto no es un demo, ya se lo publicaremos mundialmente. The world's gotta hear it. Louder than a bomb, you really don't gotta be near it. Oh no, a village did not raise me. But my neighbors knew the flavor that embraced me. San Joaquín, Marañón, La Librada, Barraza, cualquier terraza, cualquier parada. Panamá, nada más que cuna de campeones. Matemáticos llegan y suman mis canciones. Disarray, whoever rhymes my way. Lock load, explode, bombs away. Bim bam ism, form of terrorism. When they see my pick, they say that ism. Dudes hate them, ah, girls kiss them. Daddy gave me music, mommy gave me wisdom. I ran with it, did it my way like Frankie. You don't have to love me, but I think that you should thank me. No soy pionero, pero pregonero, espero. Todo hoy no quiero, nada cuando muero. Un minuto de silencio para el difunto. Waka trouble, waka nati, ahora tan juntos. See you soon, I'm always rocking your tunes. When my neighbors hear the boom coming out of the room, they either finger snap, toe tap, or clap. Nobody there disturb when I fall into the gap. Mi país, mi bandera, mi familia. Se lo debo a Dios. You can keep the memorabilia. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. There he is. That's just a, that's just a quick snippet. <laughs> that's a quick snippet. I like that. I like that. That's dope. Beautiful. All right. So um, there you have it, folks. Eric Harris, a.k.a. The Foreigner. I love it. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Rotated Views podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Guys, don't forget to visit the website, jimmyleevelez.com. Follow the blog. If you have any inquiries or questions you would like for us to answer on a future episode, uh, just email us at info at jimmyleevelez.com. And on behalf of myself and the rest of the crew, we wish you massive success. And until next time, adios. The Rotated Views podcast was produced for self-development purposes. Thank you for the love and support. We truly do hope you enjoyed the views.